In this series, we've been focusing on helping risk and resilience professionals articulate the value that they bring to the workplace. But sometimes, try as you might, you realize it's time to move on. Well, do I have some good news for you. Hello everyone and welcome to the Resilient Journey podcast sponsored by ClearRisk. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and earlier this year, I made a commitment to the folks at the BCI that I would work towards helping my colleagues demonstrate the value they bring to the table. Today's guest is Sean Watson. Sean is the Managing Director, Risk, Resilience, and Cybersecurity at Anderson Steinberg in Pasadena. In this episode, Sean explains why some organizations are going to lose good people and tells us that the market is booming right now. Could it be time to make a move to an organization where they value resilience? We'll dig into this with Sean after we hear from my friends at ClearRisk. Navigating changes in the risk landscape can be daunting without access to the right tools. ClearRisk's centralized risk management solution streamlines the process of data collection and analysis, helping customers make impactful decisions and focus on big picture initiatives. ClearRisk provides a highly configurable, easy to use solution that gives our customers the confidence to inform decision-making and proactively optimize risk in their organizations. Effective risk management begins with data you can trust. Learn more at clearrisk.com. Hey, Sean, welcome to the podcast. Before we get too far into this, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to do what you do. Thanks. Thank you for having me, Mark. We appreciate the time. Um, Anderson Steinberg is an executive search firm that specializes in the risk and resilience world. Uh, we've been doing this since 2001. Um, I've been here since 2012. Uh, I managed a practice here um, and having a good time talking to a lot of great professionals around the world, helping them to move their careers forward and work with our clients, help them to build out their teams. Yeah, well, you talk about building up your team. It's been a tough 18 to 20 months. What are you seeing right now in the risk and resilience industries around hiring? Like, What's the landscape look like for professionals and how's the market? The COVID uh, pandemic has really increased the value of resiliency in the minds of, uh, of individuals from the board of directors on down. So definitely see a lot more opportunities for uh, resiliency professionals out there. Uh, a lot of industries that were not uh, prepared for this pandemic. Um, and so now we're really, really seeing a lot of companies really wanting to invest into these teams and to build up these teams. So it's a number of opportunities uh, at very many different levels for these professionals. Are you seeing salaries increase with that boom or is, hasn't, haven't we gotten to that point yet? I haven't seen that happen yet. I mean, right now, because of the shakiness of the economy, a lot of companies are still trying to do more with less. And so salaries haven't really come back. I know back in the Pre-2008 days, salaries were pretty crazy, especially in the financial services world. Um, haven't seen it come back to those um, times yet, uh, but we're, it would definitely be interesting to see where, uh, how companies compensate individuals with their bonuses this year. Uh, I know last year was a little scary time for a lot of folks, and we made it through the last 18 months of this. And so um, hopefully companies will start to appreciate and show that the bonuses that uh, these folks get here the next few months. So you're seeing a lot of activity, though, right? People are moving jobs after the pandemic? We are. Uh, definitely seeing a lot of people have kind of reevaluated their life priorities. 
Um, so if they were having a long commute, they realized, you know what, it's not worth it anymore to have that kind of commute. So if companies are not willing to allow them to work remotely, then someone else will. Um, and so they're going to start making changes there. I think a lot of people uh, realize how undervalued they may have been in certain organizations. And so they are looking at places that are going to really value resilience. Um, and we think back, you've been in this industry for a long time. People have always kind of resiliency was kind of a, a back office function that didn't really have the executive viewpoint or executive um, site at times. And now this has really caused it to really elevate to the board director level where they're asking what's going on with, with resilience. So companies that um, have not invested in it, have not shown the value, people are going to be looking to leave and make some changes where they can feel valued. That's exactly the point of the series that we're doing right here is trying to help our colleagues with some tools that will that, the, that they can use to demonstrate value to their organizations. But uh, in the first episode in this series, I interviewed James Green and I asked him specifically, what do you recommend if someone's in a job where they're clearly not able to add value because maybe it's just they're not interested in being really resilient. They just want to you know, check off a box for compliance purposes. And what James said is basically what you just said, Sean, you know, look for another job, go somewhere else where you are valued. Life is too short. And I like what you said, you know, the pandemic brought a lot of things into perspective for people and whether it's the commute or not feeling valued or whatever it turns out to be, you know, people are reevaluating that stuff. Yeah, very true. See, we've seen that a lot lately Um, and things are going to continue on as the return to work, uh, return to the office, uh, push continues on. We see companies that are trying to force folks back in. They may have some challenges in finding uh, the right talent because people are not going to want to go back into the office anymore. And that really kind of leads me right into the next question. So I'm glad you said that. What are you seeing around organizations when they're hiring people? Are they looking for people to be remote workers or are they looking for them to be in the office? And One of the reasons I'm asking is I'm wondering from the perspective of someone having the ability to expand their market without necessarily having to relocate. Yeah, no, definitely seeing a lot of companies look to hire these these professionals. The whole remote thing is still up in the air for a lot of companies. Obviously, some of the tech firms, they were much more, um, they're in a much better position to go to a remote work lifestyle. So we've seen that happen with tech firms. Obviously, a lot of these larger financial institutions, they have a lot of legacy systems and they're just kind of a different mindset where they want people back in the office. It kind of goes back and forth. Uh, we're going to see a lot of, like I said, a lot of those companies that want to be back in the office are going to have a hard time finding the talent because the company across the street may allow the person to work remote. And hey, why would I need to come into an office and sit here for eight hours a day when I could sit at home and get more work done uh, without, without the you're in New York without the hour, two hour commute and back and forth uh, in the office. The challenge is um, how are companies going to compensate these individuals? Uh, really have to look at it as to being paid for what you bring to the table, not necessarily for the market that you are in. So if you're in the New York market um, and you decide to move to Idaho, are they going to try to adjust your salary? There's some talk around that. Uh, but it once again shows the value, but you can show the value that you bring to the company, then why should they adjust your salary just because you have relocated and the job doesn't require you to be in the office every day? Um, it's going to be, a, it's, it's a big debate around that. Uh, definitely interesting to see where 
where this lands. I think it's going to be some companies are really going to push people back the office and going to um, have to make some adjustments as to how they attract people and how they compensate people. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see this over the next uh, six months to a year as companies try to get back into a, a, an office environment. Uh, yeah, I would argue every time against a company saying to someone, well, you have the ability to work from home if you want to, but if you do, we're going to reduce your salary by 10, 15, 20%. That would be, to me, that would be a flagrant reason to, you know, kind of maybe look elsewhere and kind of move on. That's just me. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. That's a, a big red flag because if they already, are, if you're interviewing and they're not showing, they're not valuing what you bring to the table already, that's not going to change down the road. Um, so it's going to be a constant battle. And if you are working at home or you want to be missed over, for opportunities, for promotional opportunities, because they don't see Sean in the office every day, whereas Joe is here every day. And so Joe gets all the, gets the better projects, gets the kind of the FaceTime with the execs. And so Joe may get promoted faster than Sean, which is not really fair, just because Sean is working at home. So it's definitely, there has to be a, a cultural shift has to happen uh, for some of these companies to really embrace those who are working remotely and helping them so that they're not left out can still have that same career progression uh, within the firm. Kind of goes back to some some good management leadership skills. And I'm glad you said that. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it. It's, it's going to be one of those things that stays with us even long after the pandemic, I think. Yeah. And, this, and there's a lot of good things that come out of the pandemic. We had a horrible year, horrible 18 months, but there's been a lot of innovation, a lot of changes that have taken place in just the way that we hire, where the interviews are conducted, uh, the way the way we work, it's all different now. Uh, and so I think that that should yeah. stick around for a while and we'll kind of make make things better for the workers down the road. Let's let's shift to interviewing. I, I would assume that interviews are much more likely now to be like Zoom meeting or Teams meetings or something like that, something online. Oh yeah, definitely. We've seen that. We saw that happen right after the pandemic, obviously, when it started in March of 2020, everything kind of dried up and got quiet for the first couple of months there until companies kind of got stabilized and realized, hey, we still need to move forward with hiring. How are we going to do this? It took a while for them to get comfortable with hiring someone over a video interview. I'm never going to, I'm not going to meet this person for a year in person, uh, but I have to make some decisions to, is this the right person for this job? Um, but it definitely seemed to happen. It's tough on the candidate side as well. They're making life-changing decisions based off of a video interview where they've never gone to the office, they've never met their boss in person, but they have to make a decision to leave and join this, join this firm. Um, so that, that was definitely a change. Um, but yeah, definitely I think these Zoom interviews, the team interviews will be a way forward for the future. It just makes things so it's easier, easier scheduling, easier able to rapidly get into there, get the candidates in the door a lot faster. Um, and even if we are go back to the office at some point, the first interview could easily be a Zoom interview, just kind of get that first kind of impression of the person before you bring them in, before you spend the time bringing them into the office. I would imagine that you would approach a Zoom interview much like a, an in-person interview, but what advice do you give your candidates who are preparing themselves for a Zoom interview? A lot of it is exactly the same. You do your same homework. You need to do their homework on the company, homework on the position, and ideally find out more, more about the interviewer, do some research on them. Those are important to do. Uh, other thing is going to be make sure that you have a your internet speed 
is is up to speed. Um, that's been a big deal. A lot of folks really thought they had a high speed internet until you are home working all day long and realize that it's not as fast as you thought it was. So making sure you have internet speed at appropriate so you're not cutting off during an interview. Uh, make sure you have the right, the proper camera. Uh, the cameras on the laptops oftentimes are okay. Uh, sometimes they may give a, a weird angle. So sometimes you may want to get an external camera uh, with a good microphone and lighting. Lighting is key. Um, you don't want to be in the shadows when you're doing interviews. So you, I always tell folks whenever you see the newscasters, they have big bright lights shining down onto their face to really lighten up their face and to give that impression, of, of, uh, to give a good impression. So that's the same thing we want uh, when you're on a Zoom interview. You want to have some light on your face, uh, watch your background. If you want to invest in a green screen, uh, hey, more power to you. If you want to use some of the, the tools that are in Zoom, the blurred background, or just make sure you have a, a kind of a non-distracting background. Yeah, I would imagine probably a bad idea to have that big beach scene or the carnival scene behind you as your virtual backdrop when you're trying to, you know, make a good professional impression during an interview. Yes, and still dress up. I tell folks just because you are on Zoom, it's still a good idea to dress the part. Um, so, I, so full on dress up, Sean, like right on down to the, you know, the the jacket and tie. It depends on the role. I mean, I'm a big proponent of dressing up. So I, if I'm going to interview, I'm going to have on a full suit. Um, and I can always get a little more casual during the interview if need be. Uh, if, they, if we're talking and he comes up, hey, you take, tie, take the tie off. If we're a little more casual here, then yeah, it's easy to take the tie off. But if you show up to interview and the person interviewing you is in a full suit and you're there in a polo shirt, it's hard to dress that up. <laughs> so it's uh, much, much better to overdress and then adjust accordingly. I agree with you. As I mentioned, we're doing work to try to help our colleagues take control of their careers. So could be maybe it's time for a new job, or maybe they just might want to do some things within their own organization to try to advance their career. What advice would you give to someone who is interested in moving up, in in advancing their careers? One thing I always tell folks is to definitely learn the business. Uh, whatever company you're in, whatever industry you're in, you want to learn the business. And that's going to really help you not only in order to create a, a program, a resiliency program that's going to be beneficial and going to help business grow, but also gives you a good overview of the company. Um, and I tell folks, as a resiliency professional, you will have that 50,000 foot level view of an organization. You're able to identify which areas you would like to be in. And you're able to build relationships with those folks in those different areas. So you have some options within the company, uh, whether it be an enterprise risk, operational resiliency role. If you want to move out from BCM, a pure BCM role, into something um, bigger like that, or you get into a tech role of some sort, there's lots of options for you. Uh, no matter if you have to learn the business, build those relationships within the firm uh, will help you to really advance your career there. When it comes time to move on, what are you hearing? Like what makes people say, okay, that's enough. I can't take this anymore. And they decide to go ahead and switch jobs. Are you hearing kind of some common complaints right now? The biggest one is going to be leadership, Uh, whether they don't feel valued, whether leadership is just not getting the program and not allowing them to really grow the program the way it should be. Uh, You mentioned earlier, a lot of companies have kind of the, the check the box type program. And that's, that was an old school way of doing things. Um, nowadays, it's much different. 
And so we're seeing people, they want to take the program to the next level. Oftentimes management doesn't, doesn't want to do that. They don't have the appetite for that. So that's a big, that's a big part of it. Uh, challenge to mention is leadership. Um, sometimes the person you report it into has no resilience experience at all. I've seen it happen quite often where resilience is kind of stuck under someone. They have no experience in it. And so it's a constant battle for you to get anything done. Um, they're not giving you the support that you need at that executive level to make changes and to really make the company resilient. So those are kind of the big, big reasons for leaving. Obviously, compensation is always a factor. Um, I always tell folks that cannot be the biggest factor uh, when you go to make a move because I could pay you a million dollars a year. But if it's a company you hate with a, a job you hate and people you hate, you're not going to stick around there very long. So got to look at all these different factors, but probably the leadership is a, a big deal and a big part of why people do make a change. You, you talked about learning more and we've been encouraging risk and resilience professionals to expand their knowledge into some complementary areas to increase their value. What areas are hot right now and where would you recommend people focus their attention if they're going to try to, to learn to pick up some new skills? Well, obviously the operational resilience is a big deal. Uh, the regulator is looking at that now. Um, so that's going to be an interesting area for a lot of folks to really transition their skill set if they were a BCM professional. Um, I would tell folks BCM is one leg of or one pillar of your overall resilience program. So you're able to expand and to learn the crisis management piece of it. Maybe learn some of the technology um, or that's going to be help out, help you out. Um, cyber is a big deal these days. So folks who have a business mind, but they can also kind of talk the cyber talk and understand. I'm mean, not saying you have to be a pen tester or something like that, but someone who can be that bridge between the business and the technology, the cyber folks, is a, is a critical role these days because all these all these folks have to talk. Um, there's no more of these silos of these different groups together. Everyone has to come together. Uh, a lot of organizations are creating a fusion center where they all sit under one roof. Um, the great, I think that's a great great idea uh, because you, you're forced to build those synergies and you are. Um, there's a lot of information these different groups have that if you put all that all together, you have a much better, much more resilient organization. So the cyber piece of it is a big deal. We've seen enough uh, these cyber-related attacks lately. Uh, cyber attack is a business continuity event. It's a crisis management event. It's a PR event. There's a lot of things that go into it. So you can learn all those different skills, definitely can increase your value um, to the organization and uh, really help your career move forward. And both of those things, operational resilience and cyber, uh, both talk about the importance of tying risk and resilience together, don't they? That's re really quite interesting. All right, quick question for you, just a short answer. What's more important, to be the smartest person in the room or to be the hardest working person in the room? Wow, probably the hardest working, because being the smartest isn't always, don't think that always um, equates to getting things done. Uh, whereas a hard worker, hey, he's going to sit there, he's going to be a team player and whatever the, the team comes up with, he's going to work through it and work through it with them to make it all successful. So I say be a hard, the hardest worker in the room. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think so too. Uh, you can't always control if you're the smartest person in the room, but often you can control if you're the hardest working person in the room. And, and frankly, 
I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. One of the things I like about doing the podcast is inviting people in who are subject matter experts like yourself, and you're teaching me stuff. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I like that. All right, look, I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, I know you're quite active on LinkedIn, but you know, tell the listeners, what's the best way that they can connect with you? Um, sure thing. Our website, andersonsteinberger.com. Uh, we're in the middle of revamping it, so there should be some new content on there very soon. Update the website. Uh, I'm, as you mentioned, I'm on LinkedIn all day long, every day. So feel free to ping me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably the best, easiest way to catch me. Uh, that way we can always and always want to have a chat with anyone out there wanting to connect. Uh, my door is always open. The phone calls are always available. So we can have a, have a chat. Even if you may not be looking for something today, uh, it's all about the long-term relationships. So we can look at something for you next week, next year, two years from now. Let's just have, have a conversation. Yeah, and I think the, the the message here is that sometimes when you're undervalued at an organization, you can try, you can work, you can do your best, but sometimes it's time to move on. And Sean, you can help folks with that. So I appreciate you being here today. Thank Thanks you for being me. a guest on the Resilient Journey podcast. Your insights have been really helpful. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Look forward to coming back again soon. Well, that wraps up our series focused on helping BCM professionals demonstrate value. We spoke with James Green and Ashley Guzman about techniques we can use to make our programs more valuable, and confidence coach Susan Graves about how increasing confidence can help us articulate our own value. Thanks to today's guest, Sean Watson of Anderson Steinberg, for his insights. A special thanks, as always, to my good friends at ClearRisk for sponsoring the Resilient Journey podcast. Our next series will focus on crisis communications, so join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.